broadcast. This is your emergency broadcast system. It's time for the hashtag is with podcast. Business as you never heard before. This is an ACS executive production. Sit back and enjoy the show. Call this a comeback. Hashtag biz with beard and bald has officially kicked off season two. We're here to f shit up. It is the mobster and the hipster bringing you another episode of your favorite business podcast. To make sure you keep hearing the show, subscribe to podcast at anchor.fm biz with beard and bald or one of these other platforms Google Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Castbox, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Breaker, Podbean, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, and now we are on iHeartRadio and Pandora. Everybody panic! And as if you needed any reminding, I'm your host, the man who has on his face what they call the new six-pack. All the way from Atlanta, Georgia, I am the beard, Mr. Kirby Smith. And joining me from the great state of Texas and the city of Houston is my partner and co-host, the guy who asks his barber every time he gets a haircut to give him the Charlie Brown, the bald Mr. Scott Schaefer. He's bald! Wah, wah. <laughs> Wait, you didn't like that, Scott? No. <laughs> All right. let's, just, let's just say that that warm, fuzzy feeling of missing you is long gone. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've dispensed with the pleasantries, let's welcome our guests. And I would be lying to say I have never been more excited to have a guest on this podcast. This man's father was my boyhood hero, an NFL legend, and I'm just going to say it, the greatest NFL player of all time. However, our guest himself is a very accomplished individual who played football at Miami University, played in the NCAA championship game in 2013, was the 2014 Orange Bowl MVP, played in the NFL for the Tennessee Titans, the CFL for Montreal and Ontario, and for the IFL Chicago Slaughter. He's a successful entrepreneur, radio talk show host, and WGN sports reporter out of Chicago. He is also a major philanthropist and continues to carry out his father's legacy as a humanitarian whose name is on the NFL Man of the Year Award. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and Scott, welcome from Chicago, Illinois, the one and only Mr. Jarrett Payton. What's going on, guys, man? That was that was a big intro. You hey. know, when you hear those when you hear those intros and you're talking about all the places that you've been, it makes you feel old. So now I'm sitting here <laughs> thinking about man all the good old days but listen appreciate you guys for having me i'm super excited about this and um i know about that charlie brown haircut man that's what i got so that that it, you can't keep joking on the ball guys man that's it is what i'm what talking is. about brother right there that's what i'm talking about and hey i'll Jared, take it easy this time you think you feel old, bro. I can remember a picture, and I believe even your grandma was in the photo from 93, the Hall of Fame ceremony, um, and you were just a baby, bro, just thin and skinny. I mean, I'm going to talk offline with your workout regimen for two years after that because, man, you must have hit it hard. But, man, yeah. it's good to yeah. have you, bro. Thank you, man. Yeah, that was a pretty cool time in my life, I mean, to, to be able to – induct your father into the hall of yeah. fame and i look back on those pictures and i had a lot more hair in those pictures so <laughs> like i had my i had a they, they called it like a 
remember Sean Kemp? He I had like the Sean yeah. Kemp haircut with a little bit of yeah. like a Gumby, like for you know. So I was always real styling, and uh, I look at that suit all the time and say, I'm glad I don't have that suit for TV <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Oh, man. yeah, Sean oh, Kemp, that's, that's a throwback. Um, well, hey, Jarrett, we really want to make a concerted effort this year to make the show more about our guests and less about Scott. So let's just jump into our first question, all right? Yeah, yeah, because from the intro, you can tell it's no longer the beard and bald show. It's just beard. That's how I roll. <laughs> I want to take you back to 2003, all right? And this might be mm-hmm. a sore subject, but it's a national championship game. You're a junior at Miami University, right? And you're facing yep. Ohio State. All right, the score is 24 to 17 in overtime. You guys have the lead. OSU has the ball on the five-yard line. It's fourth down. If they don't convert, you and your team will be crowned national championships. The ball is hiked, is thrown to the right side of the end zone where the OSU player drops the pass. There was some contact, but eh, there's no flag thrown. And then three seconds later, a flag comes out, not from the judge who was standing right there, mind you, it came from somewhere in the back. The announcers said it was a bad call. To me, it was great defense. But OSU was given the ball on first and goal and go on to win the national championship. Tell me how it felt to win the national championship, then three seconds later have it ripped from you. I mean, Man. And, and can you describe for us what you learned from that experience? Do you think from a, like a life lesson perspective, did you gain more from losing that game or than you would have won it or what? Uh, I mean, it, it was... It was one of those one of those moments in your life where, you know, you work so hard for something and for that year's team, we were we were just coming off the national championship of beating Nebraska in the Rose yeah. Bowl. So it, it was we had a lot of guys leave for the NFL the year the year before and in the draft and you know, we came back and we were on a nice little roll and it just seemed like we we had everything going for us, but I think that's the the one thing about the game of football is that you just never know. And and any given day, a team can come out and play well and they can get a W. For for me, I'll remember that moment forever is where on the sidelines, they were giving out the Tostitos like little. They were like look like chips and they were like hats. Right. And they gave them to us. They were handing them out to us because they thought the game was like almost over. And I remember after the play, I just took off and ran down towards that end zone and had the the chip on my head and I was super excited. I did not know what was going on. And then I look and I see this guy from Ohio state, a fan in the, in the seats. And he looks at me and he's like, turn around. And I turned around and looked at the jumbotron and I saw the flag. And I was like, are you kidding me? And so the, the, the stuff even before that with Mill- Willis McGahee, like getting his, yeah. his leg all messed up. And then I had to go in the game. Yeah. It was just a, it was just a weird feeling. And, you know, even though, yes, it was a phantom call, they shouldn't probably have called it in that moment. And you do have to have some cojones if you're going to throw the flag on a play like that it, with the type of game it was. For me, now that I look back on it, it still hurts. Uh, but the life lesson is, is that, man, if, if you can't learn from a loss like that, then it's it's really on you and i've really taken that those feelings from that game and and that moment and really like it probably was the fuel to my fire to you know always want to you know give your best do whatever you have to do don't leave any stone unturned and all you can do truly 
is control what you can control. Like we right. couldn't control that flag being thrown. So for me, it was like now, you know, you, you have an opportunity now when situations and, and I wasn't a starter. All I could do in that moment looking back was prepare myself like the starter if something did happen. And a year later, you know, this is how life, you know, teaches you lessons. Mm-hmm. Frank Gore Frank Gore goes down with a knee injury in the West Virginia game and I have to play the rest of the game and then I started the rest of the year. And I really did. Over that summer, I prepared myself like I was a starter, even though I wasn't. You because I never loaded. knew when, yeah, I know. And Gore, then you just never Gagey, know when you, you I mean, dear Lord. yeah, it was it was pretty insane. And the competition inside of, you know, that running back room was huge. Oh, I, I can't imagine and, with those guys. And, and I think back to not only that moment, I think about just what I learned from, you know, at one point in time, it was me, Najee Davenport, Willis McGahey, Frank Gore. I mean, we were all in the same meeting room and I learned I took something from each one of those guys and like wanted to use it in my life. And I have to this day. And everybody says you could have went somewhere else and played and went to Wisconsin and and probably got the ball, you know, 300 times a year. And and, and would you give it up? No. Let's talk about it a little bit. But before I don't mean to cut you off, but so you were going to say, I just want to hear it. It was a bad call, right? You guys got it was the a bad national call. championship ripped from you, right? Yeah, it, it was it go. was a bad call. There, there's there's no there's no way there's no if ands or buts about it. It was Good. a bad call. It should I agree. Have been I agree. And, you know, and and I'm an Iowa Hawkeye fan, um, big Kirk Ferentz fan. Um, and watching that game, even though Ohio State is a Big Ten team, I was not. I, I've never been a big Ohio State fan, and that, especially after that, that that really just burned me. So. Uh, I thought you guys got ripped off. Always, man. I'll never forget that moment. Hey, Jared, bald here. So you said, and, and again, I'm sure you've said it in more places than this, but in, in your dad's book, Never Die Easy, um, in the spirit of Halloween or, or you know, Chewy's scary face, um, <laughs> you and your dad were so much alike that it was scary. So can you explain to us and our listeners, what, what do you mean by that? Because there's so... I mean, wow, so many traits. Um, we, we could have a week long of shows uh, about your father and about you and, and align those together. But can you just kind of share with us what, what you meant by that in the book? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I my dad was uh, was a character and he, you know, he was he was just everything. He was able to kind of interact with people from didn't matter what you know color their skin was. He could bring people together. He was. You know, was always able to joke around and, and make people laugh and feel comfortable, and and then also too to kind of just look at even your your you know the things that aren't good about you and uh, to not shy away from those, but to work on those and um, and just his his mentality and the way that he worked. You know, never die easy was was his motto, and we're just I I feel like him and. And he always used to tell me, and it's funny because he always used to tell me, don't be like me on the field. You know, he's like, be better than me off the field. And I get it now. Like, I get what he's saying. I, I, he wanted me to be a good person that people would, you know, want to be around. And from what people tell me, that's that's the biggest trait is that we, the way we interact with people and bring people together and not just always worry about us. I mean, we do ca- take yeah. care of ourselves. My dad always used to make sure he was okay, but also just to make sure that other people that are around you feel comfortable as well. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that we, why we're so alike and what made him so special. 
Well, you say comfortable, but I remember reading a lot about Walter. Is he was a jokester and a prankster, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you can't be too comfortable around him. So I want to know: can people be comfortable around you or not? Are you yeah, just like yeah? Like, no, they can. They can. I, I mean, I do joke around a lot. Um, I I love to keep people's you know spirits high, and I love to motivate people and just get them going. Like, yeah. yo, you can do this. You can make it happen. And um, I think now, after my playing career, I think the the work ethic is what the similar trait that we truly have. I, I didn't really have it when I was playing football. I have it now for some reason. I don't know why, but man, I always say like you you might have all these things more than me. You might have more money than me. You might have a better car, but it's gonna be hard for you to outwork me. And right. that's just the way that I, I am. I, I go hard. I work hard. I play hard. And I enjoy life because I just know for, through the experience with my dad passing when I was 19 that no one's promised tomorrow. And so I just yeah. want to make sure I make every second count while I'm here on this earth. Well, you, you brought up earlier about, um, you know, you could have played anywhere, right? And you could have played a lot of D1 programs, yet you chose Miami at a time when they were <laughs> a marquee name loaded with tons of talent at your position. We, we went through the names. So why did you choose Miami, and why did you stay there when it was obvious you could have transferred and be the featured player at a lot of D1 programs? Like you said, Wisconsin. Would have loved to have you at Iowa. Uh, anywhere else. So why did you choose Miami, and then, you know, why did you stay there? I mean, with that, well, I mean, it was, it, I mean, that was hard. I mean, if you sit there and look yeah. at any other D1 program during that time, they, they were just loaded. Yeah, it just kind of happened that way. I mean, if you even go back further than that, I mean, I was an all-state soccer player. A lot of people are, that are soccer fans are still upsetting me to this day because they believe that how good I was and with my last name, being American, that I could have helped change the dynamics of U.S. soccer. Right. And um, I, that was one thing. And I switched over and started playing football my junior year. And I don't know. It just seemed – I went to all these different places. I went to Indiana um, because uh, – Antoine Randall L was going to be my host. I wasn't going to go there, but he was my host. So I was like, I got to go. He's a Chicago guy. He's like one of my idols. So I had to go see him. And then I went to Notre Dame next. I went to Wisconsin third. And then I canceled all my trips. I was actually going to, I was thinking I was in between Notre Dame and Wisconsin. And then somehow there was something that brought me to go to Penn state and to Miami. And I went to Miami and I was there on a trip with like Andre Johnson, Clinton Portis, and Philip Buchanan and yeah. this other kid, uh, Vernon Carey, and they were all talking about these are all kids that I saw in this magazine, right. Tom Lemming's magazine, that were like in the top like 25, and I was top 50, and I'm like, yo, these guys are amazing, and we were sitting outside on like one of the apartments, and we were outside just hanging out, and they all said, listen, if we come here, we'll have a chance to win a championship, and I that my dad's voice echoed in my head because we had the conversation he said don't just go somewhere to play football go somewhere where you can win championships and i did i wanted to be somewhere where it was challenging i didn't really know how challenging it was going to be uh, but my experience of miami shaped me to be the man that i am right now and it it taught me how to work It, it taught me how to to interact with people who didn't come from the same backgrounds as i did and i felt comfortable there even though a lot of the guys that i was around were they weren't they didn't have surroundings like i did growing up and so i think that was appealing to me and the way that they accepted me 
And now, I mean, to say that I'm a cane, yeah, I could have went all those places. Yeah, my life could have been different. NFL career could have been different. But I wouldn't trade that for the world, for the relationships, and just to be able to say that I went to the U. Like, just saying that, you don't understand how many conversations or how many jaws drop when you say that. Well, they could use your help right now. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Manny's going to get us back on gear, oh, yeah. man. It's just going to take some time, man. It's going to take some time. <laughs> well, Jared, speaking of shaping a man, um, I believe sweetness used to define being a winner as not just what you accomplished or succeeded at or even fell short at, but how much effort you put into something and how how much you tested yourself, I believe, to the fullest against the best of the best. And it sounds like, you know, through the opportunity for experience that you could have had at the U, you also had the opportunity, we've heard the list of names, and uh, to be with and against the best to make yourself better. Did that have a lot of influence on, on you choosing to not elect to go to Miami, but to stay at Miami? Or did yeah, it ever no, cross your mind to go somewhere else? It, it did. It crossed my mind. I, I can't lie. It did. I mean, right after my freshman year, year I kind of wanted to be home and that's like right my dad passed away my yeah. freshman year so like right after my freshman year there was there was some opportunity to come back to the Midwest and go back go to school but same thing man in in my ear I had my dad in my ear this time he wasn't on this earth and he was just he, I can't forget him telling me listen listen wherever you start that's where you finish wherever awesome. you start that's where you finish. And so, um, and there was a time before where that all came out because of my, my senior year, I wanted to go back to my hometown in, in Barrington and go back to school. They had a loaded team that was going to win state and they ended up getting to state, but they needed a running back and their, their, their current running back wanted to go to, to go to linebacker. And so I went and without telling my parents, I started going to seven on seven in the summer. I was going to a couple of meetings and my dad found out, he came in my room one night late, grabbed me and told me, get your stuff, let's go. My high school coach was his best friend, Kevin Kelly, and he gets in the car and he takes me to St. Vider High School, and there's one light on, and it's Kevin Kelly's uh, light in his office. My dad takes me upstairs and closes the door, and he goes, tell him, tell him where you've been. And my pa- I didn't know my parents wow. knew. I was like, what are you talking about? And then he walked out, took a phone call, and then he came back in, and I was explaining it to him. He's like, you've been at Barrington this whole time. You're not going to Barrington. Listen, you started here at St. Vider, you're going to end here at St. Vider. And um, those words stuck with me for a long time. And so that's probably the biggest reason why I elected to stay at the U. Wow. What do you think of all the current transfer rules now in the NCAA, though? I mean, <laughs> I, um, I mean, it's. It's different. It's a it's a different time, and these kids now are are, are brands when they're coming into to college. Now it's not the same. You know, right. they get some of these kids are coming in with, you know, a hundred thousand Instagram followers, and and it's it's totally different. And especially for these quarterbacks, I mean, we we saw it with all these guys. You know, changing you know, Jalen Hurts going to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's all all these things are changing a little bit. And I don't have a I don't have an issue with it. I just at some point, you know, these kids are getting their college paid for. And I'm I don't know the structure and how you structure paying college players uh, and if you're going to have to do it to all sports. But Mm -hmm. if it helps them have a little bit of control of their career and what's best for them, I'm you know, I'm always good for that. Yeah. 
Well, you're the son of the greatest football player of all time. I'm just going to say it because <laughs> he is. There's no – listen, you don't – there's – there. that's it. I don't care what people say. No. I mean, I watch people's – like – their, their posts on certain things and no disrespect to all the other guys that are always are mentioned in there. I res- love them, respect them. Um, but when it comes down to watching the film, um, especially even at my dad's position, you watch all these other running backs and no disrespect. They're all great, but you don't see their highlights. Don't look like his where he's no. throwing the ball. He's catching the ball. He's playing quarterback. I mean, it, he was, he blocked. I mean, he did everything. everything. He did everything, and and that's what made him special. And I think that's why pound for pound, there's not a greater football player than my yeah. dad. And you know what? And here's here's why. Because I was telling my son, we were on the way to football practice tonight, and I, I help coach his football team. And he's nine years old. And I was telling him who I was interviewing, and he knows who your dad is because I talk about him, I show him videos. And he goes, "Well, how do you know he's the greatest football player?" I said, "Here's why, Oliver." I said, "The guy never stepped out of bounds, never." Mm-hmm. He took every hit. He got every inch that he possibly could. And even when he was on the ground, he moved the ball ahead two yards. And uh, <laughs> I just – he never he, – he never backed down, ever. And no. he, did, he sacrificed no. his body for the team. And I tried yeah. to instill that in our, ki- our kids and my son. I just said, you know, he's worried more about the team than himself. And to me, that's why he's the greatest football player. Yeah, man, he was he was truly special. It's I, I'm in awe now because I I cover the Bears. I yeah, I, I follow football and it's just it's totally different. And I think that's what makes the special ones the special ones is they're able to you can drop them in any era and they could be successful. And I I also look at his ability to to play through everything that he played through and early on in his career. Yeah, in this one game, the, right? Yeah, I only missed one game. It was his rookie year, and then he played 13 years. So wow. you just think about it, he was always available, and that's what I tell kids all the time. I tell people that I speak to when I'm going to do corporate speaking engagements. I tell them, like, listen, you if you really want to be great, there's a lot of different things. you got to have a passion for what you do. Uh, the next thing is you've got to be persistent in your goals and your dreams and getting there. And the one major thing that I saw with my dad was you have to be present. You have to be present for your greatness. Like you cannot, in some ways, you you can't miss an opportunity for your greatness. And think about it. On my dad's, you know, his best game, he probably felt the worst. In 77, he had a, a 103, 104 degree temperature, had the flu. Yep. He was playing the Minnesota Vikings. They said he had towels over him before the game. He was shivering and he came out and he rushed for 275. <laughs> On, his, on, on, on the day that he felt the worst, when he probably could have stayed at home and been in bed taking Theraflu, chilling, watching the game on TV, nah, he showed up. And what came of that? His best rushing game ever. And so those are the things that stick with me the most about him, the reason why he was such a fighter and he never gave up and he was always there to be able to, to, to really capture his greatness. And he never wanted to miss an opportunity to be able to showcase everything that he worked hard for, for those people that paid their hard earned money to come watch him play. And I think that's a cool thing. He was very unselfish. He knew people were coming or traveling. They paid their hard earned money to be able to come watch him play. And he didn't want to upset or, or hurt the feelings that they wouldn't be able to see sweetness on Sunday. (laughs) Well, that's just it, man. He, he wasn't only the best, greatest football player of all time, you know, Pound for pound, not just running back, but overall player, 
he was probably no, he was the most well prepared player yeah. to ever play the game. And that's yeah. why he could deliver under those types of situations and circumstances. My gosh, man, I get as much thrill today watching, you know, clips and, and stuff of his workouts um back in the day than I than I do even the highlight film because yeah. that's where it all really transpired. And I don't know, man. I mean I can tell and we're gonna talk about it a little more after the break. Um, you definitely have it in your your work ethic and you as a man and a father now for sure. Yeah, man. There there's a lot to talk about, man. We gotta get to it all. <laughs> well is, is that a big burden though? I mean it, it, what was it a burden or being the son of Walter Payton? <laughs> was it t- difficult? Is it still difficult? Um, it. I always looked at it as the gift and the curse. I mean, it's it's always good to have the name, um, but there's a lot that comes with it. There's yeah. a lot that comes with it that a lot of people, you know, don't see or they just expect everything like, oh, man, it had to be easy. No, nah, it really wasn't easy. I mean, you know, when you have spotlight on you from, you know, a kid, a lot of people in the city of Chicago have watched me grow up. They watched my sister grow up and for both of us to be on TV now and in Chicago. I mean, it's funny to see like when they look at my sister and I, that they, they see so much of my dad in us. And so it's like that, that connection is still there. And I love it. And I don't ever I've never looked at it as like, oh, man. But over time, I mean, you think about it, as a kid, my sister and I both we kept our nose clean. We weren't perfect by any means, but. Right. I mean, we could have went left. We could have went left and like did some stuff, gotten some trouble and, you know, and we didn't. And I think it's a testament to how our parents raised us and, and the values that we have as a family. And I and I think that's just so crucial for everybody now to really instill in their family and get it done early, because as a parent, I know you guys know as a parent, that's one of the biggest things that you think of. And now for myself, having two kids uh, it's it's amazing to kind of pass on some of those things from from grandma and grandpa, especially grandpa, uh, to the younger ones. Yeah, powerful. Well, you know it's that time of the show. We're going to take a break to listen to our sponsors. So uh, while we give Mr. Payton a breather, um, we'll go ahead and uh, take a break. back to the hashtag biz with beard and ball podcast we are blessed to have our first guest of season two to be none other than mr jared payton and joining mr payton and my dead cousin's third favorite podcast host scott schaefer excuse me <laughs> unbelievable uh, well hey jared uh we brought up your dad and his accomplishments and influence, but you've made it your own name for yourself. And I've talked about it before, and I'm just going to redo it again. Um, you were the 2004 Orangeville MVP, played in college football national championship twice, right? Played yes. in the NFL, NFL Europe, CFL, indoor football. You were on ESPNU, Sports Nation, college football, a current sports anchor for WGN. And yeah, you have a brewery, right? 
Yeah, well, we, we got into some brewing, and I was in the actually business for like four years, and it was amazing. Also, had um, it was a call. It was actually called Jared Payton's All American Wheat Ale, and then I got into also the jewelry business as well with a company called Cy Fredericks, and I did like kind of one off. Uh, jewelry and it was like bracelets and pendants for ladies and earrings and all that stuff and then also currently though man me and my boys uh in chicago here in the suburbs we just opened up a a restaurant so i'm I'm pretty cool and jacked about that and it's uh it's doing well it's called flagship on the fox it's uh in st charles downtown st charles east side of the river and it is if you want to watch sports in the suburbs uh we got 32 tvs uh like over 20 beers on tap it's uh, it's a pretty amazing place and i find myself there it's almost like my, my second home now i'm probably i'm probably there now more than i am at my own house wow hey jared Be- beard and i'll fly in let's let's make a, <laughs> make a yeah why are we... a, a some commitment here we're gonna we're gonna do a follow-up episode from from your establishment we'll promote right. We should have done that. it there originally. You get your boys there and us, and we'll we'll time it. We'll we'll see. I mean, the Bears are going to come out of this little little whatever you want to call it. So we'll have <laughs> something to get get hyped about. I'm sure that we could put this good timing together. Man, you had to bring up the Bears, didn't you? Man, that just just uh, well, this just hurt my hurt my heart a little bit right now. Yeah, well, well mine. Hey, hey, I, 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 I'm, I've always been a Bears fan, but since I moved to Atlanta, but you know what? I'm gonna start following the Falcons. Jeez, you could be Atlanta right now, so don't worry about that. That is true. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Matt Ryan, yeah. Julio Jones, uh, but I'm also a big fan of uh, Deshaun Watson. So um, just to be able and JJ Watt, man, JJ Watt is a former Walter Payton Man of the Year winner, yeah. so I got a chance yeah, to get sure. to know him pretty well and. Uh, always really cool to see him rocking that that man of the year patch on his jersey, man. Absolutely. It's uh, it, it's pretty sweet. He's got a pretty special heart, man. He really, really does. Well, out uh, of all this, Jarrett, I mean, you got, you got the you had the brewery, you got the the new establishment, and all those other accomplishments. And maybe I haven't even mentioned the the one that means the most to you. What is your greatest accomplishment, and why? Oh man, my greatest accomplishment has to be my kids. Probably, I mean, awesome. I've done I've done all the other stuff, uh, but my kids are, are special, man. My daughter Madison is three years old. Uh, she reminds me of me. She is a, a mini me. She's just got this this energy of, of getting to know people and making people laugh, and uh, she just got a, a huge heart and. My son Jaden is seven, and he is—he's—he's—I uh, don't know—he's pretty much like my dad. I mean, they're super similar. They have—they have everything. Everything that my dad was, he is. He's—he's huh. he's got a drive that I've never seen from a seven-year-old. The way that he works, uh, loves sports, plays baseball. He's a lefty, throws lefty, hits lefties, and the way that he works um, is. I've never seen it before, honestly. I'm not saying it because my son, he, he works harder than most grown-ups that I know at his game, and it's the reason why he's seeing so much success. So just really trying to hone that in and every facet of his life is what my job is, and um, it's not easy. But both of them, uh, along with my wife, we are – they it's just – they're special, man, and, and it, they're the they're the legacy. Like they are, they're, they're my legacy. And so to be able to see them 
and to have people come up to them and talk about me whenever I leave this earth, uh, that's my goal. My goal is not to make as much money as I can. My goal is to impact people's lives. So down the line, they come back and they tell my kids that I had an impact. And uh, so my kids will always know that forever. Jarrett Bald here again, you know, speaking of impact next week, um, gosh, November 1st, yeah. it'll be 20 years since your father's passing. Um, for me, you know, obviously him being my hero, um, I'll never, ever forget that news conference um, when he when he publicly announced needing a liver transplant. And first, um, of course, it was shocking. Right. Because, I mean, here's this here's this guy. I rewind 20 years ago. I'm sitting here. Here's my superhero. Right. Um, and, and he became, if I could, mortal in front of the whole world, you know, yeah. and it really Gosh, I, I mean, and then to see the embrace between the two of you um, and he broke down and it's just that relationship. I mean, anybody can read about it. I just that is etched in my mind forever. So I guess what I'm saying is when you were there with him, Jared, um, first of all, does it seem possible that it's been that long? Okay. Year? And if I could and hopefully it's not, you know, going too too far or asking a question I shouldn't, but do you and the family do anything special on November 1st? It's kind of, you know, remembrance of sweetness and your father. Mm, you know, it's, uh, it, it doesn't seem like 20 years. Uh, I can tell you that it doesn't seem like that there's, and then when you go back and you think about it, there's so much that has transpired throughout the time. And then you really start to think, Holy cow, it's, uh, it's been a long time. Uh, he, we, I, I deal with, I think about that day a lot just because of, you know, my dad was always holding everybody else up. Like, you know, he was holding me up. He was holding the family up. He was always doing those things. And then, you know, for him to have to lean on me, you know, I'm a young kid, 18 years old. I, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, my life and, and becoming a man. And it was just that, that, that moment of him just leaning on me and, you know, me telling him in his ear, like, yo, you're, it's going to be all right. But, I think about the moment because of how much courage he had to have at that point in his life, because he was, like you said, he was everybody's superhero. And no one thought, even me, I didn't think like, I was like, there's no way my dad's going to beat this because he's one of the strongest people to ever walk the face of this earth. It's not going to happen. Nothing's going to take him. And it, I go back to that moment thinking, man, anything's possible. You never know. That's why I say every day is not promised. The next day is not promised to anyone. So you got to enjoy the time with the people that you love. And for our family, I mean, we November 1st, is it's a weird day because you got Halloween and then, yeah. you know, it's like, boom, it's like right there. And so for me, it's the I last year I spent it. I was actually on the air that day. So um, it, it was kind of a weird moment. And we always bring it back. Mm -hmm. you know, on the air. And then this year it's a Friday, so I'm not going to be on air. I'm not working. So I just got to figure out, you know, what we want to do. And we all get so emotional about it. And we all kind of, the three of us, my mom, my sister and I, and we just kind of text each other, call each other just to make sure everybody's doing well. But I'm going to be honest with you guys, man, my dad's spirit is, it, it's it hasn't gone anywhere. He's, it's like, he's almost still here. So I mean, he's you walk her any corner of my house. There's a picture of him somewhere. Hmm. He's hanging up somewhere. 
people mention him every single day. So it's like he's almost here. I go to games on Sunday, and there's so many 34 jerseys. So yep. it, it doesn't hit it doesn't hit as much as like it used to back in the day. And but now it's uh it's one of those days though that it makes us all reflect on you know that day and just bringing us back to that moment um, when you know he did pass and what it meant to our family and what it meant to the people that loved him, especially the people here in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as mentioned, I mean, your dad was a hero for many young people in the seventies, eighties, and as great of a player as he was, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he did for race relations in this world. Yeah. I, I, I can listen. You don't have to say anything else. I, 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 I feel like, the football player was even with the even with football because that's what was so great is that he people could have these issues and let's go back to his time in Mississippi and Columbia yeah. when he decided to play his junior year and all of the stuff that was going on uh, between the black people and the white people and, and and segregation all that stuff all that stuff was such a hot hot topic yeah. and that people. When my dad started playing, he was so good that on a Friday night, it didn't matter what color your skin was. And people wanted to come watch him. People were high-fiving, enjoying themselves. And then after the game, they go back to living their crazy lives again about hating one another and trying to figure things out. And and it just goes to show, I mean, he really did. He didn't see color, and he really brought people together. And it's almost the same exact way when he was playing here in Chicago. It didn't matter, you know, where you were sitting, how much money you had in your bank account. People just enjoyed him and watching him. And I think that was such a big part of bringing all different races together and what made him so special. I mean, did he really, I mean, you think about it, because I grew up in a small town, a little farm community in in Illinois. It was 99.9% white. And, you know, and before your dad, I mean, all the kids are wearing the Roger Staubach and uh, Terry Bradshaw jerseys. And then all of a sudden, all these kids in these small little towns, they're wearing number 34 and wanting to be him. I remember arguing on the playgrounds with my friends. No, no, no. I'm being Walter. You know, (laughs) that's what we do. We play the game. Who's going to be, I'm I'm Walter. Getting fights about this. We jump over couches and land on cushions. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah, Diving over the couch. Yeah. I totally remember that. (laughs) The greatest Christmas present I've ever gotten was my Chicago Bears football helmet and my number 34 Bears jersey. And I still have that helmet. Um, So when we talk about the impact, did he even realize the impact he had on race relations and the color barriers break it down? I, I don't think so. I don't think he really truly understood his true impact until like he got sick and around that time when he passed. Because then we started to see the the letters and uh, the, the, the 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 mail that was being flown in from all over the world of people who he impacted, and mm-hmm. uh, he didn't know. He really had no clue. Mm-hmm. And and then you start to, uh, for me. I think it really kind of took the form. And I know it's just so late. It's so crazy. But the Bears game in London, it, it really it really hit me of his true impact on people. Because I was walking around London. I was walking down Piccadilly Circus. And I walked by this guy who had a 34 jersey on. And I walked up to him. And he couldn't speak English well. And I'm like, 
uh, how you doing? I'm like, thank you for wearing that jersey. And he was like, oh, no problem. Who are you? I'm like, um, that's my dad. And he's like, <laughs> what? And he, I'm like, yeah. And he's, I'm like, he's like, you're his son? I'm like, yes. And I'm, he, I go, where are you from? He's like, Italy. I'm like, what? I'm like, what? Like, you're rocking that jersey and you're from Italy? Italy. He's yeah. like, yeah, man, your dad, your dad was. And the funny thing was, he confirmed it by when I pulled out my phone and showed him my, my Twitter page. And as soon as he's, he's like, oh, I know you. I know. Yep, that's you. This is, <laughs> I, I follow you on Twitter. And it just blew my mind that he had this this impact on people and that that 85 Bears team had an impact on oh. not just people in Chicago, but all over the world and, and truly like set the stage of people becoming football fans. And we have to sit back and think about it, you guys. That was no internet. People were still using pay phones. I mean, it was that, that, that is insane. I, I went to the airport that day working for WGN to get the bears coming into the airport. And there was like maybe like 25 people, bears fans that were getting off the plane that were there to like wait and see the bears. They said back in 86, when they came over to play the Cowboys, that it was like, it was like the Beatles. They said the airport was filled with people like waiting to see them. And that's what makes that team. That's what makes my dad just uh, even that more special. Yeah. Well, we're talking about that team. Um, well, you're talking, you kind of brought up, brought that up, Jarrett. So your dad, to me, you know, obviously I was, I was born and raised in Illinois as well. Uh, outside of Chi-Town, we'll just leave it at that. But um <laughs> You know, your dad in Chicago are synonymous with one another, right? So I'm going to ask the question. I, I think other people want to know. I know I want to know. I think Beard wants to know. Did you and your dad, or did he ever talk to you about not getting the ball to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl? Uh, yeah, you know, we, we talked about it briefly once I was playing football. It never really came up. It, it comes up now more than ever. It, com- it pretty much comes up once a week. I mean, I, I've heard it for once a week since my dad's passed about how much that meant to people that he didn't score. Okay. And, um, yeah, the conversation that we always had was th- like, Dad, like, what do you think? And he said, you know, he, he thought about it. He was truly upset about it at the time. But because he's an athlete, he's one of the best. Like, that's his – he wanted to play well in the Super Bowl. He didn't have the game that he probably dreamed that he was going to have when he started playing the game of football. And – I can understand that as a man, as a person that played, you always want to put your, your best product on the field and your, your best outing on the field. And it just didn't happen. And, um, he said, you know, once he sat back and, and thought of what it would mean to score and then not, then sitting back and then understanding that he was really blessed to actually even be there because wow. he could have not won or could not have been there. And he had a lot of friends, professional athletes, that did not get a chance to play in a championship game. And so once he started to understand what it truly meant, he was like, yo, I'm cool. And I, I, I respect that, but I respect his hunger and his drive to want to be the best and have his best game. But like anything, you guys, it's not yeah. always going to happen. Yeah. That's just a great outlook, but I will tell you this, uh, Milton Smith, who's my father, he passed away last year. In 85, we were watching the Super Bowl, and he got up and he cursed out Mike Dicka so much at that TV <laughs> and by the end of that game, <laughs> saying, he, he, said some, he said some words, uh, that's a bunch of BS and <laughs> crap, that guy dedicated his life. He was, Milton Smith was mad that day, I can tell you that. <laughs> and I've never seen my dad get that mad at the TV except for that day. So. 
So Jared, let me ask this going a little deeper was, so, so is the lesson more or less that you take from those conversations with your father about not scoring in the Super Bowl? Were they more that it's, it's, it's more important to understand situations and opportunities that you're given or that you get or that you receive, or is it less important or more important to have the drive and the hunger to put yourself in that situation? Mm, I think it's about this kind of the lessons that you learn through, you know, those situations and the tough times. I mean, you got to be able to learn because in the game of football or any, mostly every sport, it's about winning or losing. And, um, you know, when you win games, <laughs> it's, you look at the film a little bit differently. You know, you look at the good things. Most of the time, there's a lot of good things that happen. Right. So when you do lose, uh, the film is not as good and there's mistakes and you have to be able to, you know, correct those mistakes. And I think that's what makes you great. And the great ones are a little bit different because they can take what they did wrong and fix it for the next time around or hopefully make sure that that mistake doesn't happen again. And so, yeah, just to see, you know, what you can learn from those mistakes and learn from those bad times and the tough times and staying with it. I mean, those are the things that I think I learned the most. Hey, I want to ask you something and get your opinion because you're a journalist, right? I mean, yeah, and we and we become a society where we see a lot of journalists making the news rather than just reporting it, and it seems every time someone tries to do something good or steps into the public eye or gets on a certain pedestal, someone's always there to dig in their personal or past life, and it's a <laughs> lot easier now with social media to knock them down. And, and it just happened a couple of weeks ago, right? Recently, an at an Iowa State fan appeared on College Game Day before the Iowa Iowa State game put up some dumb little sign to send me beer money and Venmo. And all of a sudden we got $3 million coming <laughs> to the children's hospital to help fight children's cancer. Yet you had a journalist out of Iowa decided to take on himself to go into this guy's past way back and find some stuff that he did as a kid. And I know your family has experienced something similar when you dealt with an unauthorized biographer from some this this New York author a few years back. How do you deal with that crap? And, and at the end of it, I mean, do you think it's important as a journalist yourself to reveal such personal stuff amidst, like, the greatness and the good that people are trying to do? Uh, it's it's a weird time, man. I think that's the reason why I'm, I'm so conscious with, you know, teaching my kids, you know, to not to live right, to do things right and to put your best foot forward because it is it's so crazy in this social media and digital world that we live in that people can go back and pull up all this stuff. And um, even thinking about that book that time, that was like a early time for me on social media. And I think I had like maybe like maybe like 10,000 followers at that time on Twitter. And I remember I was always on Twitter I'm, and I'm still on Twitter all the time. Mm -hmm. I was on Twitter and I remember like getting all these people hitting me up about this book and like wanting me to comment and say something and wanted me to like, there people, some people were baiting me to say some things like bad about the guy that wrote it. And I, I wasn't going to do it. And I basically had to like stay in my house for three days without leaving because I didn't want to go anywhere to talk about it with anybody because it was such a hot topic here in Chicago. And, and that, that was the moment where I figured out, holy cow, like this world that we live in is totally different now. Like you can't, yeah. you can't get away from anything. And I think, you know, the, the biggest thing is, is shifting it back. And for myself, I had a platform where 
Yeah. And I remember I, I called Waddle and Sylvie from an, uh, ESPN here in Chicago. And I was like, I want to talk about this. And because I was listening to the sports radio and everybody was making all these assumptions and saying all this stuff and, and people didn't want to go back and, you know, they dig, they try to dig into my dad's life mm-hmm. when they could have been, went back and digged into the people who were, were actually the, the main, like the, 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 the main parts of the book. If they would have digged into them, they would have found out stuff too, but yeah. they didn't. So it's funny where I went on there and I just said what I had to say and everybody wanted me to say bad things about the author and I wasn't going to do it because that's not how I was raised. <laughs> and I totally understand for him. He's got a family. He's got a job to do. That's what he's got to do for his family. And I'm never going to knock anybody for that. And it's just not how I was brought up. So um, it, it is. It's a different day and age now. But these kids got people have to be very, very conscious and, and look back and go back. But we all have a past. All of us. We all have a yep. past. And we we're not all like super excited and happy about things that we might have done back in the day. But. We also have to look at the people that we are right now, and I think people lose sight of that. You can't yeah. lose, you can't lose sight about what we what people are doing now and how they change and evolve over time. Well, you mentioned it earlier, Jared. Um, as far as the, uh, I believe, is it Argus Brewery? Is that what you were actively involved in? At, yeah, at I was. I was actively involved with them, man, and we are. I decided to step away from the beer just because. I just I, I started to get busy, man, with my work, like with TV, like TV. I had no clue that TV was like it was it was really difficult. It it takes up so much time. And so that's where a lot of my focus went about uh, five years ago and just was like, yo, I'm going to step away. And um, I might get back into the business one day. But as of right now, it's I'm really almost too busy to do anything else. So can people still get uh, the craft beer that you came up mm-hmm. with? No, they can't get it anymore. But um, I'm you gonna tell recipe, you what, right? Yeah, I know the recipe, but <laughs> just to have the experience, you guys, like the experience, the business experience, to understand. Um, like for me, I don't know too much about brewing beer and all that stuff. I'm more on the marketing side. That's where I've really honed in on on my skills and my craft, um, just with social and understanding how that all works. And so a lot of the things that I get involved with. That's where I can I I'm kind of an asset to be able to help businesses and companies really not only to promote their product, but also to really for me to promote their product, but to also help them like figure out how to promote their product. And that's what I've really started to work on and understand over the last couple of years of helping brands and take their brand to the next level. Wow. So what does the future have for Jared Payton? I mean, what what, Mm. what, which we expect from you next? (laughs) Uh, more businesses. I, I, I really, I love, I just, I love being in business. I love doing it. I just, I love connecting with people. Um, the, the, the restaurant is, has been amazing and we've done so well so far and I want to get into more things. I want to get into, um, speaking is one of the things that I love the most. I don't get a lot of time to do it because of being on TV, but um, speaking to businesses, uh, motivational speaking, telling my story, uh, interacting and, um, you know, uh, team building for, for, for brands and companies. I love helping that. And I also too, my, one of my biggest dreams that I've just, I haven't really put it out there. I, I want to start a training facility here in Chicago somewhere 
where we can truly help kids and high school kids and youth and also kids in college, like really have a place where they can train, where they can learn and become not only better athletes, but also better people. And that's, that's my goal. So I, I, I've been on a, I was on a weird check, uh, text chain with, I can't say who it is, but he's an MLB player. He's been in the MLB for a long time. He's still currently playing. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing if there's an opportunity we can do something together. So I'm like super excited about a lot of the new projects I got going on. Well, that's great. Hey, you can uh, you can come on board and take flight with Top Flight Athletics. I'll go ahead and plug yeah, that's that. That's what kind of Scott does. I don't know if you knew uh, that. Scott, we'll have, to talk, we'll have to talk offline a little bit, Jared. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, man. We've got to put that whole thing together. Everything you just said as far as ha- having the platform and the presence um, as well as the equipment and facility to kind of navigate those waters with the kids, not for them, but then also help them navigate the the recruiting um, process when they get to that stage. But prior to that, the do's and don'ts on social media. And then, uh, you know, we have a, we have a sports outreach ministry as well. So anyway, that was my way of uh, kind of piggybacking <laughs> you. So I have two questions for you, bro. Um, and then, and then you won't hear from me for a while. First is this. Is Jarrett Payton, the son of Walter Payton, as loyal of a friend and man as his father was, as everybody has has spoken about intimately over the years? And two, what truly motivates Jarrett Payton? Mm, um, Yeah, I think I am. I, I really do. I believe that, like I told you guys before, I think that we're very, very similar in how we interact with people, how we, you know, kind of keep people's spirits up and and how we're we can kind of just kind of change the room a little bit if we have to and bring people together so yes i definitely think um i am i i am all my friends know when you are with me um i got you and i will always be there for you my friends know they can call me anytime and i'll be there so um if my schedule permits me to be there that's the (laughs) hardest thing and um yeah what motivates me is Man, I just my legacy does, man. My legacy, what I leave when I'm not here is what motivates me. Um, money has never been the motivator. It's always been um, I want people to remember me. And I think that's what motivates me. I want people to talk about me the same way that they talk about my dad and the way that they will talk to my kids, the way that people talk to me about my dad. Like, yo, your dad had an impact on my life. I loved him. Uh, the conversation you and I, you guys and I had before we got on here. I mean, those conversations, I want people to have with my kids. And so that's what truly motivates me. So on a lighter note, Jared, I guess I wasn't completely honest. I had three questions. Um, <laughs> oh boy, on a much lighter note. So would Matt Suey get in a car with Jarrett Payton? Or would Jarrett Payton drive as fast as Walter Payton? Um, I do drive as fast as my <laughs> dad does. But Matt Matt and I are like – Matt and I are – he's one of my best friends, man. He is – he's unbelievable. And I talk to him almost every other day. And, wow. Uh, we do business together as well. So it's like – it's just – it's crazy now that I'm – 38 years old and I still am having an opportunity to be as close to my dad's friends as uh, I am now. I, you would never have told me that that's how it would be uh, 20 years later after his passing. Well, as a man who's at the age, or I should say has the wisdom and experience that I have, it, it truly just pulls on the heart to hear you say that Jared, that, yeah. that you and, and Matt have that relationship. Um, 
Just just from what you know, again, as a complete outsider, that's that's pretty powerful for me to hear. And God bless you both, and I'm so happy right. to hear that. Thank you. Well, yeah, and I, I hate to do this, but unfortunately, I, I know Jared's got to get going. He's been doing this in the car, um, and I, I think he's at home now. So unfortunately, <laughs> we got to wrap this up. But I will. I can say with confidence that I cannot think of a better way to have started off season two of the podcast with our guest today, Mr. Jarrett Payne. And Jarrett, I, I do know in, in your dad's book, um, he had made mention that he wanted to look at you as his hero, right? You were his hero. And I think without a doubt that that's come true and probably beyond what he, he could have imagined. So um, this has just been an amazing time for me. You, you're just an amazing individual. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And thank you for sharing us with your your success, your journey, your personal life, and the personal relationship and the impact your father had on you and the rest of the world. Man, you guys, thank you so much, man. You just gave me chills. It's amazing to be able to share your story with people. And um, you guys got a great platform, too. And so it's just cool to be able to be around like-minded people like myself and to really know that you're you're doing and making a difference for people. So um, I know We've been going back and forth for a while, man. But listen, everything happens for a reason, yeah. like my dad hey. would always say. And look, I got a chance to kick off season two, so I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> well, before we let you go, there is one thing. And I don't know if you've listened to the show before, but we need to ask you one more very important question that we ask at the end of every show, and it's beard or bald. And to date, Scott and I are both tied at six. So I don't know if you understand what that quite means, um, but we ask, what do you like better? beards or being bald and i kind of think i know way this is gonna go yeah. so yeah uh, <laughs> i think this i'm gonna is... lose out this time but but, but be aware yeah. before you make that decision you know if i lose by the end of the year if you have more people voting for bald than beard i have to shave my beard and i have to shave my head so i'm not really oh, looking forward is... to that so yeah this is this one's gonna end up bad for you on this one <laughs> yeah it really is uh being bald is way way better i mean it but <laughs> But you're asking a guy that's never had a beard before, so I'm always going to go bald with this one. I, I do. I, hey, that's all right. I'll, 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 I just, you know what, though? If we should make this so, it'd be cool, though, if I could maybe shave your head if you do hey, have to go bald. That would be your, amazing. I love that idea. I will fly up to Chicago if I lose this, if I lose this, but I don't think I will. I will fly up to Chicago and I'll let you shave my head. I, I would love I'm that. Co- I'm cool with that, man. Let's make it happen. <laughs> well, we'll hey, if that's the direction we're going, fellas, I think I think this is this is right up my alley. I I don't mind losing this annual challenge because then I'm gonna fly up there and I've got to stay with you, Jarrett, um, until I grow you a don't beard. Want to stay with you. You don't. Want to stay oh, with you. you can only you can only stay for the weekend. You can't stay for <laughs> until you grow the beard. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Uh, all right. Before, thanks again, Jared. Before we go, I just want to remind everyone to subscribe at anchor.fm slash bizwithbeardandbald and share it with your friends on all your social media pages. And don't forget- And I'm going to leave everybody. Hold on, Milton. I'm going to leave everybody with uh, a little words of wisdom from the great late Walter Payton. Um, right. Sweetness, if I could. And that is, even if they're bearded, don't waste any time being angry at anybody. And spend the time with your children because they really, truly are your legacy. That's what's up. Thanks again to Jarrett for joining us today. Jarrett, is there anything you want to add before we let you go? Uh, No, but that the interview is ending at a 
at a the hour and 34 right now so that's actually kind of, that's actually kind of i want to get off before it, it ends because that's the best way to end there we 834, go. baby all right that is perfect that, that, no better way wow so there you have it friends another show's in the books but but never fear beard and bald will always be here so until next time folks same bald head same beard channels good afternoon and thank you for listening to hashtag biz with beard and bald Remember, every genius idea starts with the stroke of a beard. Have a successful day. Hey, hashtag biz with beard and bald fans. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It was brought to you by ACS Executives. Let me ask you something. As an entrepreneur or business owner, are you tired of struggling with running your business? Do you feel you can drive more revenue, improve your profits, and run more efficiently if you had a little help? Well, you are not alone, and there is a solution for you. Like many small businesses, as the owner, you wear a lot of hats. And why wouldn't you? You started this thing, so you're very careful and particular about it. Well, at ACX Executives, we do a deep dive into your business to help your business grow revenues, improve profits, acquire capital, and run more efficiently. We just don't point out problems. We help you resolve them through our family of companies and the solutions they provide. We share some of the best practices and processes and coach you and your team through them. Our suite of quality products and services will help you get there quickly and smoothly. That's how we ensure your success. So visit us at acsexec.com or call us at 1-800-495-6505 and schedule a free 30-minute consulting assessment. Have a successful day and we hope you enjoy today's episode of Hashtag Biz with Beard and Bald.